Good morning. Good morning to everybody here in the house. If you're watching through the screen, uh, thank you for joining us. And I want to personally welcome anybody, if, if you're here for the first time, uh, welcome, welcome. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. And um, I'm excited to, to bring the word this morning. All right. We're, we're in this series called God versus Satan. And in the past uh, several weeks, we've been talking about God and Satan. We've also talked about angels and demons. And today, the, the title of the message is, What Do Demons Do? What Do Demons Do? I want to start off by introducing to you my daughter. I have uh, three kids. My youngest, her name is Erinea. And Erinea, uh, out of all three of my children, she just does not like to sleep. She just will not go down. Every single night, it's a battle. Sometimes she stays up till 11 o'clock, 11.30, because she just won't fall asleep. And every night, almost a dozen times, she'll come out of the room and she'll come up with an excuse as to why she needs to be out of bed. She'll come out and she'll say, I forgot to get a glass of water. I'll say, go back to your room. And she'll come out again. She's like, "Uh, I forgot to go potty. Go back to your room. She says, she'll come out a few moments later. She's like, I really need something to eat right now. I'm like, go back to your room. She'll come out a few moments later. Daddy, I forgot to give you a hug and a kiss. Oh, okay, come here. here. Now go back to your room, right? Just go. And like she'll she'll do this time and time again. And then she started getting smart. A couple years ago, she got she got really smart and she figured out a way to be invisible. She started to cover her eyes. So check out this video. I want to show you her trying to hide herself. I see you. <laughs> and so she, she, then she got even smarter. She got more stealth and she used her hands instead of to cover her eyes to crawl so she can't be seen. And so she used her hair to cover her eyes. Check this out. So today we're talking about demons and being, de- <laughs> and I'm not saying she's a demon or de- demon possessed, that's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying a lot of times what we do is we kind of act like my daughter, where when we want to avoid conflict, we'll cover our eyes as if somehow this makes things go away. And we'll cover our ears as if, if I do that, then I don't have to face reality. And I pray that Today, for those of us who are listening, I don't know what you're feeling inside of you at the thought of this topic. I pray that as we open up the word, God would help us to see what's invisible, but that we would know that by by avoiding the topic, it doesn't make things go away. But I pray and I trust and I hope and I know that when we really get what we're about to hear today, God is going to cast out fear. And he's going to fill us with hope and confidence in Christ who has all authority, okay? So would you guys join me in prayer? Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us uh, this morning. Let's pray. Father God, I, I just want to come before you. I join with my brothers, my sisters, my friends, our visitors. And God, first of all, I want to declare you are God who sits on the throne. You are King of kings, Lord of lords, and you are above all of creation. And we 
find great comfort and peace in that. God, would you reign? Would you reign today as we spend this time in your word? And I pray, Lord, that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that you would help us to see what is true from your word, and you would help us to see what's invisible, that we would know the realities that surround us, and yet we would have greater confidence going out of this place than we had coming in. And so, Lord, we ask you to speak. And I pray, Lord, that as I deliver the message this morning, Lord, I, I really pray that none of this is successful, none of this uh, gets hidden in anyone's heart, unless it's true. And if it's true, Lord, may you grant success to the preaching of your word. May, may it be successful in the sense that we get it, we grow, and we're transformed. And so, Lord, that's what we're asking for. We're asking for you to speak. Speak to me and speak to us as your people. We give you our hearts and our minds, and it's in Jesus' name we all say, amen, amen. So here's what I wanna do this morning. I wanna talk about two main things. I wanna talk about the activities of demons. Then I wanna talk about the activities of Christians in response to the activity of demons. That'll be the application part. But let's start off with the activities of demons, all right? So if you're taking notes, I I wanna encourage you to write this stuff down, go back home and process it later. But let me give you two activities. And the first is this, if we could just be real, demons possess, demons possess. That's a reality we read about in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 11. And in Luke chapter 11, Jesus is driving out a demon, and then he teaches a lesson about it. And in verse 14, Jesus does this. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. And you can pause right there. And so one activity of demons is the possession of individuals. That's an observation here and the truth we read all throughout scriptures. And we've heard that before, but my question is, what does it mean to be possessed by a demon? Well, what is possession exactly? Well, let me clarify, demon possession is when a demon inhabits a person and takes control of that individual and afflicts some kind of, of pain upon that person. He afflicts it maybe mentally, maybe physically, maybe spiritually. And in this story, we have a man who was possessed by a a mute demon, it says, a mute demon. He couldn't speak. And so in a way to flex his power and try to flex any kind of authority, the demon makes the guy who he inhabits, he makes him mute. Right? He's afflicting him physically. There's a story in Mark chapter 9 where where the, the son of a father, the son is possessed And the father says that this demon in him is throwing him into water or trying to throw him into fire as to harm him or as the scripture says, to destroy him. And so we see that behavior of demons that they try to take full control and afflict the person they inhabit. Now that's the key word, inhabit. Okay, so when you think of possession, think inhabitation. It's a disembodied spirit wanting to inhabit a person. And so what we learn from passages like this, like Luke 11, is that there are disembodied spirits looking for a place to dwell. They're looking for a place to dwell. 
And so Jesus goes on in the story after he casts out this demon to teach a little demonology lesson. And here's what he says about their behavior. In verse 24 through 26, he says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. He's referring to this person. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And so you could pause right there. So what are we learning right now? We're learning that even if a person has a demon cast out of them, that's not the end of the story. Sometimes we can say, oh, the demon's out. But what happens is if that person remains unoccupied, Jesus is teaching that that spirit very well may come back and bring other demons with him to once again inhabit that unoccupied person. Making it worse than it was before. And, and this is what I believe Jesus is teaching. He's teaching that everybody, every body is able to be inhabited. Everybody is able to be inhabited by some spirit. And so the question is, some of you guys might be thinking right now, can Christians be possessed? Can Christians be possessed by demons? And the answer is no. Not if you're already occupied by another spirit. Not if you're already possessed by someone else. I don't know about you, I don't know what your fears are, but one of my biggest fears is leaving my garage door open, right? Any of you guys fear that? I, I fear that. Why? Well, because in my garage, I got stuff that I don't want stolen. I got a quiver of surfboards that I hope no one ever takes. God forbid I ever get my bike stolen again. Right? Or my, my kids' sports equipments, or my family's shoes, or, or, or even worse, if they go into our garage, they could enter into our house. And so because of that fear, every day when I leave my house and I'm pulling out of the driveway, I close the door with my remote and I check as I'm driving, as I'm leaving the house, I'm driving down the street, I check the rearview mirror just to make sure I press it correctly and the door is closing. Right? You guys do that too, right? And, and I'm driving away, as long as I see it coming down, I know it's going to close. But here's the thing. Sometimes, at the bottom, there might be something in the way, and because of the safety sensor, if the garage door detects something there, it will open back up. And if it ever does that, I'll be way down the street to even know that happened. So imagine that day when I had to leave work early because I needed to get something from home, and I'm driving back home, and as I'm driving down the street, I can see my house in the distance, and my heart sinks. Why? Because my garage door is wide open. And I'm just thinking, what am I going to find when I pull up? Like, are, is my stuff going to be there? Are my surfboards going to be there? Are my bikes going to be there? Oh, my gosh. So I'm driving up to my house. I pull into the driveway, and guess what I see? I see the most beautiful thing God has put in my life. My surfboard. I mean, my wife, my wife. Monica is standing there in the garage, and all of a sudden, all fear is gone. Why? Because I know the garage was occupied by the owner of the house, 
Monica is there, and as long as Monica is there, I know no thief is going to come in and make himself at home. No thief is going to come in to steal or destroy because it's occupied by the owner of the house. And in the same way, Christians, you need to know that if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been occupied. You have been indwelt by the Spirit of God. If demon possession means to be inhabited by demons, to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, means to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul assures us of this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, he says, Do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You've been purchased with a price. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so when you put your faith in Christ, you know what happens? You get possessed. And that you are in the possession of one who is greater. You're in the possession of God's. You become his. You are not your own, the scripture says. He is yours and you are his. Your body becomes the temple in which his spirit dwells forever and ever. And so what we're learning is we are all inhabitable. And at some point, it is very likely that you will be inhabited by some spirit. And I say, choose God. Choose God. If by faith the Holy Spirit comes and occupies your heart and is present in your life, then there is no opportunity for demonic thieves to come in to steal, kill, or destroy. If you are God's possession, you cannot be possessed by demons. To God be the glory. Amen? Amen. Now, with that being said, so that means if you're a Christian, does it make the demons go away? No. The reality is they still exist. And here's the true reality is that though Satan and his demons can't possess a believer or follower of Christ, they will try to oppress us. And there's a difference. There there is a difference. If possession takes place internally, uh, oppression can take place externally. So let let me break that down for you. Would you guys write, write this down? The second activity of demons, not only do demons possess, but demons oppress. Demons oppress. What is oppression? Well, oppression is when another authority or power tries to burden you or put a yoke upon you and tries to wear you down. And so when we talk about it in the spiritual realm, when Satan and his demons try to oppress us, they're trying to burden our hearts, trying to weaken our faith, trying to wear down our, our, our trust in God. And so I want to show you two ways, expose two ways that the enemies, the demons, might try to oppress us. First off is they might try to oppress us through torment, oppression through torment or harassment. I remember uh, growing up playing Little League, and I was about 10 years old. It was just a summer league, you know, playing Torrance Parks and Recreation, and I remember I was pitching one game, and... It was a good game, I have to admit. I started off really well. I, I remember this one inning, and I struck out three in a row. And I was feeling really good. And then the next inning, I came out to pitch again, and there's these, these, these people on the other side of the team in their bleachers starting to heckle me, 
starting to say how they want a pitcher and not a belly itcher and all, 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 all these things they're shouting at. And to be honest, I, I was kind of flattered, right? Because that means I must be doing something good. I'm a threat to their team. And so, so they're throwing out these taunts, and that felt good for a bit. But as the game went on and they kept on taunting and heckling and harassing from, from the bleachers, I remember this one inning, I'm standing there. And as I'm getting ready to pitch, I had the glove in my face, and I just couldn't pitch. Because I realized as the game was going on, it was starting to get to me. How do I know? Because I just couldn't get in the strike zone anymore. Everything I was throwing was out of the strike zone, or I was walking people, or people were getting on base. And as I stood there with the glove in my face, I couldn't pitch. Why? Because I didn't want to remove the glove from my face because I didn't want people to see that they had gotten to me and I was breaking down and crying. And I was trying to compose myself and get myself together so I could remove the glove and then pitch, but I just couldn't do it. And these people in the bleachers, they weren't on the field. They couldn't control me. They couldn't hold my arms to keep me from pitching. They couldn't stop me, but they knew that they could harass me from the other side of the fence. And they got to a point where I just felt like, man, I, I don't want to even play anymore. And I believe that the demons can do the same thing. Though they cannot inhabit us or possess us or control us, they know that they can torment us and harass us from the outside. If you have the Spirit of God in you, we praise God because only the Spirit can dwell in us, but the enemies can attack our faith and try to wear us down. And oftentimes when you're feeling like you're close to God or you're on the spiritual high, that's oftentimes when they will try to wear your faith down. I mean, Talk about spiritual high. Have you ever had a mountaintop experience? Because Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, he doesn't just have a mountaintop experience. He has a heavenly experience. And he talks about how he gets this revelation, this vision of heaven. And he says, it was so amazing. I got to see the realities and the glory of heaven. I saw things and I heard things that I can't even utter. I can't even repeat them. If I did, I'd come off as if I were boasting. He says, it was that amazing. And I believe God wanted him to stay humble. And I also think Satan wanted to shut him up. To shut him up to, the, to testifying to the realities and glory of heaven. And so in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 7, he says this. He says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of these revelations, a thorn in the flesh... A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Circle that phrase, messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. And so Paul describes that right after this amazing spiritual encounter with the God of heaven, he gets this thorn in the flesh, which, by the way, is figurative. There's not literally a, floor, a thorn in his flesh. But it's something that we know was afflicting him and tormenting him and harassing him. Some people think it was physical affliction. Maybe he got a sickness or some kind of uh, disease. And some say, no, maybe it was spiritual affliction. Like there were other Jews persecuting him for his faith. Some people say it was emotional affliction. He was depressed. He was anxious. Whatever it was, we don't know. It's all speculation for us. 
But we do know this. He calls this thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan. In the Greek, it says angelos of Satan. Remember angelos from a couple of weeks ago? An angel, a messenger of the enemy. And it harasses him. And so what, what he's saying is that this thorn, whatever it was, was demonic in very nature, and it was trying to keep him from speaking highly of heaven. It's trying to shut him up and wear him down. And, and Paul, being tormented by this, cries out to his God. He says, three times I prayed for the Lord to take it away. Take it away, God. Take it away. Take it away. He kept on praying. And the Lord responded in this way. In verse 9, God says to him, he says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. So, So the demons may try to wear down our faith through torment. But they also might try to oppress us in other ways. Torment is one, and I believe temptation is a second. So write this down. Not just oppression through torment, but also oppression through temptation. It's another way you might try to wear our faith down. Let's not overestimate the enemy. Satan is not God, nor are the demons. And so they're not omniscient like our God is. They don't know everything in our mind and everything in our heart like God does. So don't overestimate the enemy. But at the same time, don't underestimate the enemy either. Because though the, the demons do not possess us and, and take control of our hearts and our mind, I believe the enemy does his work. I believe Satan does his homework and he knows our situation. He knows our habits and he knows what we do. Why, why do I say that? Well, turn with me to Job, Job chapter 1. And in this story, God says to Satan, because Satan's going all throughout the world, and he says in verse 7, he says, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Well, have you considered my servant Job? That there is none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Well, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. Here's the observation I want to make from this story. God knows that, Joe, that, that, that the devil is like a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. So he goes and he searches the earth. He goes around to see who he can devour. He is cunning. He is observant. And, and so God says, well, have you seen my servant Job? He's righteous. He's, he, he loves me. And right away, Satan goes, yeah, of course I know Job. He knows who he is, what he has, and how he behaves. He's done his homework, and he says, doesn't he love you because you've given this house and and all these great blessings? And so Satan knows exactly who Job is. I say that because though the demons can't inhabit us, I believe they study our habits. They may know the way we behave, and they may manipulate the environment around us to make our hearts weary and our faith weakened by tempting us and luring us into sin. Have you guys ever had like a conversation with 
a family member at home or maybe a coworker at work or maybe your roommate at school and you guys are just talking about something random and then all of a sudden, have you noticed that maybe like a couple days later, you're, you're, you're on your device and all of a sudden you get ads about what you were just talking about, right? Oh my gosh, we were just talking about rubber rain boots. How, how is there a sale like coincidentally, right? What a coincidence. And then like two days later, oh my gosh, how did rubber rain boots end up on my porch in an Amazon package? How did that happen? And all of a sudden we get sucked into this trail going to places we never imagined we would go. I tested it out this week for the sake of this message. I typed in to Google, I, just some, something random. I typed in off-road tires. <laughs> off-road tires. A couple days later on my Instagram, guess what they're trying to sell me on these sponsored ads? Off-road tires. Right? I, I, I go to Bible Gateway to try to prepare this message. What are they selling me? As I'm trying to read the word, off-road tires. Satan is relentless. I, I go to Facebook. Not only are they selling me off-road tires, now they're trying to sell me an off-road truck. Not just a tire. They're trying to get me to buy the truck. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what's going on? I'm being surrounded with these, these visuals, these images, these temptations. I learned that even your friend Siri is listening to you. Alexa is listening to you on your device. If there's a microphone, as you're talking, there are trigger words where they'll pick it up, they'll collect the data so that they can send you some information. What's the point of sharing that? There's a demon in your device. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I believe that because here we are, Going about our business, that the demons act in a similar way. So when you go online, your web browser, your, computer, your device knows what you're searching in your web browser, what you're looking for, what your interests are. And in the same way, I believe the demons who are in the invisible realm around us, they know our habits, they know how we act, how we behave, how we respond, and what we're attracted to. And so beware, friends. You may think you're alone when you're viewing those images on your phone and no one else is home. And I want to warn you because I believe the enemies might be taking notes on what you desire and what your taste is. And you might think that no one is watching when you delete those texts from your phone to hide them from your spouse or delete that email so that your spouse will never find it. But I believe the enemy is taking notes of your willingness to hide and to cheat. And you might think you're alone, and no one will ever know if you change the accounting books a little bit and pocket a little bit for yourself. But I believe the enemy is taking note of your willingness to hide a little secret. He's catching on to your patterns. And listen, though no demon can possess you or take control of your mind, I believe that they may leverage their knowledge of you and your behavior and lure you into greater situations of temptation or temptation abounds, trying to get you to disobey the Lord your God. And in James chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, it says this. It says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But 
Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by what? By his own desire. No one's making you sin, but we have desires. And I believe the enemy wants to lure us as he gets to know our desires even more. So the demons can't control you, but they can leverage the world around you to lure you based on the knowledge of how you live. And the, the reality is if we don't take appropriate action, if we don't take appropriate action, the demons can torment you and they can tempt you and wear down your faith and turn you from God and rob you of your joy if we don't take appropriate action. So the question is, what's the appropriate action? What's the appropriate action? How do we engage in this spiritual battle? Well, now let's turn to the activities of Christians against the activities of demons. This is the application part, okay? So let me give you two ways we can respond. Number one, write this down. Proclaim Christ's authority. Proclaim the authority of Christ. Hide this truth in your heart that we have an authority that we can declare over the enemy, Right, so in the case that you're ever feeling oppressed or you know someone feeling oppressed, declare the authority of Christ who is in you and over them. 1 John 4, 4, you might know this verse. It's a very familiar verse, but if you don't know it, hide it in your heart. Memorize this and remember it often. It says this, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And I'll say it again. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Hide that in your heart. God lives in you. If you put your faith in Christ, he lives in you. His Holy Spirit dwells in you. You are his possession. And when you proclaim that you are Christ's possession and he lives in you, then the demons will shudder at his authority. They will shudder at his authority. Let, let me help illustrate the power of authority. Okay? When I was a student, uh, I remember during lunchtime, we would sit at these lunch tables, and everybody had their own portion, uh, place in the school. And I, I wasn't part of the cool crowd or the popular crowd or the tough guys. I was actually part of a group. Where you could say we were like the nerdy group. We were kind of low-key, kind of nerdy group. And here we are sitting at our lunch where we always sit, and every... Every once in a while, this guy named Danny would come over. And Danny was one of the tough guys. He was part of the cool crowd. And he would come over, and he would ask us for food. And, like, he wasn't bullying us. Like, he was just asking for food, and it was normal. He would go around, and we'd be like, here, you can have my chips, or you can have a bite of my sandwich. And we'd give Danny some of our lunch. But I remember this one, this one day, uh, we had a new guy who who's new to our school, just came over from Korea, didn't even speak any English. And so Danny comes over, he's asking everybody for food. This guy named Steve, he has no idea what's going on. He doesn't understand what Danny is saying. And he asked Steve, Danny asked Steve for a bite of his sandwich. And I remember, I remember that day he had a steak sandwich. It looked really good. And Danny goes, let me get a bite. And Steve didn't know what he was saying. And so Danny goes ahead and takes a sandwich and takes a bite. And he goes, he goes like this. He goes, <laughs> he took like a massive bite. Like almost ate half of Steve's sandwich. And I, I remember, like, just stepping in and saying, Danny, and I put my hand on Danny. I said, Danny, chill out. Don't eat his whole sandwich. And right when I put my hand on Danny, all of a sudden, Danny goes, boom. 
And he hits me across the face, and it was so hard. I don't know if it was closed fist or open hand. He just hit me, and I just, I just remember being so disoriented. I just see, like, blurriness. It's like black and purple and stars. And he says to me, after he hits me, he says, don't you ever put your hand on me again. And it was like he was about to jump me. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, I hear this voice from this little old lady who says, stop it. Stop it right now. You walk away. And it was a teacher, a new aide at our school. She, she saw it happen. She comes over. She says, you stop it. You walk away. And guess what Danny does? He walks away. He stops and he walks away. How did he do that? Danny is a lot tougher than that old little teacher. He could beat her up and me up at the same time. How did she just say walk away and he walks away? If I said walk away, he would beat me down. How did she do that? I'll give you one word, authority. She had authority as a teacher in the school, and he recognized her authority. And by her word, he knew, I better walk away or I'm getting in trouble. That's authority. Give you one more illustration. This is for, for all our L.A. people. But how many of you guys got to watch two weeks ago uh, when the Dodgers and the Giants squared off in the final game of the playoffs? Game five. And these are the two most winningest teams in the major leagues, 109 wins for the Giants. And, and they've won more games than anybody in all of baseball. It's down to the last game, the last inning, and possibly the last pitch. Dodgers were up 2-1. to one. And then this happens. Check this out. 109 wins. One is going home. No balls, two strikes. And Flores, did he go? He Whoa. did! And the game ends! Oh. A swinging strike three! Oh. Gabe Morales rings him up, the game is over, and the Los Angeles Dodgers are headed to the National League Championship That clip had a lot more impact last night before they lost. <laughs> but, but the point is this, that call was one of the most controversial calls all year long. So many people thought that was not a strike. He didn't swing. Did the Giants like that call? No. Did the Giants agree with that call? No. Did all the Giants head back to the dugout, back to the clubhouse, pack their bags, and go home? Yes. Why? Authority. Because the umpire has authority that's greater than their best player. The umpire has authority greater than their head manager. The, the umpire has greater authority than every giant fan in the stand. Based on his word, he calls them out and he sends them home. That's the power of authority. And I share that with you because we have the one in us who is greater than anyone, any spirit, any force in this world. He lives in you if you are a follower of Christ. He has the power to call him out and send him home. He lives in you. Because you are in Christ, proclaim his authority. Declare the one who is greater 
in you than he who is outside of you. And James tells us that the demons will recognize who he is. They believe God. They believe his power and his glory, and they shudder. And so child of God, son of God, daughter of God, fear not, for we have Christ in us. Amen? Amen. We have Christ in us. So we pray with authority. And number two, here's the second activity of Christians. Pray with authenticity. Pray with authenticity. And this is totally connected to that first point we just made about authority. But let me show you what I mean. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have been taught that when spiritual attack happens or when you feel oppressed, to just pray in the name of Jesus? You just pray in the name of Jesus. Rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus. I've been told that. Maybe you've been told that. And my question is, what does that mean? What does that mean? I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just asking, what does it mean? Maybe many of you or some of you have had the experience in your sleep, like I have, where you're sleeping in the middle of the night and you're woken up somehow and you can't move. And it's quite frightening because you're trying to say something, but you, you realize you can't say anything. You can't move. You can't say anything. And oftentimes, maybe you, you experience some presence near you. Maybe it's on your chest, making it hard for you to breathe. And the reason I share this is I've heard many of you share the same story. If you go online, you'll know you're not alone. People all over the world have had a very similar experience. They'll testify and write their story, and it'll sound a lot like what you've gone through. It happens to people all over, and some will say it's purely physiological or psychological. It could be explained uh, with scientific reasoning. And then some people will say it's purely spiritual. It's spiritual attack, and it could be explained with theological reasoning. My position, I believe it's both and. I believe it could be both. I believe that things happen to us physiologically And I believe the enemy can leverage what's going on with us to try to instill fear into us, depending on what's going on. I think it's both and. And I was actually warned as a youth that when this happens, if it ever happens to you, you just say in the name of Jesus, just pray in the name of Jesus, and the enemy will flee. And I always remember that. I always tuck that in my mind. I was always scared that that might ever happen. And so just in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. And then the dreadful day came. I remember I was in high school. And I'm I'm woken up by this, this terrible nightmare. I won't go into the details, but I'm woken up and I realize it's happening. Like I can't move. I try to shout out. To see if it's really happening. I can't shout out. I'm like, it's happening. So I, I start praying in my mind because I can't pray out loud. I start saying in my mind what I was taught to say. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Go away. Get away from me. In the name of Jesus. And nothing happened. I opened my eyes and all of a sudden I still see the presence that, that I saw in my dream is still there. And I'm even more scared. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Go away. And nothing happened. Until eventually, like for many of you who have the same experience, eventually the whole episode ended. But I remember waking up the next day, why didn't the name of Jesus work like they told me it would work? Why did the name of Jesus lack its power? And it didn't make sense to me until later on I opened the word and I found Acts chapter 9, 19. 
And in Acts chapter 19, Paul is doing extraordinary things. I mean, he's healing people. He's making the sick well. He's making the lame walk. He's casting out demons in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. And his reputation was growing. And all the Jews saw his ministry. And they wanted to mimic him because it was so powerful. And there was a particular group of Jews called the sons of Sceva. And so they wanted to copy him. So they went to a demon-possessed man. And they tried to copy Paul's formula. And so here's what it says in Acts 19, verse 13, says this. I'm going to read it 16. And it says, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know. And Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. What happened? Why was there no power in the name of Jesus that they proclaimed? Why did it work for Paul, but not for the imposters? And I believe it's because their faith lacked authenticity. Their faith was not authentic. To them, it was a magical phrase. It was, it was a formula. It was like an incantation that they hoped would have power if they would just say these words. Their trust was in the saying, but not in the Savior. They knew what to say, but they didn't personally know the Savior, so there was no power in just saying the name of Jesus. And so I go back to that night when I'm in my room and I'm saying in the name of Jesus, I was a Christian. I had a spirit of God in me, but why, why am I not experiencing the power of God? And I realized when I was saying it, I was saying it in fear and not in faith. That's just trying to say it to get them away. I was still scared as heck, but I wasn't authentically trusting in the power of the spirit of God in me. There was no faith. There was only fear. And sometimes we go through things, we go through prayers, and it's all habit but no heart. I love that my kids pray before meals and pray before bedtime every single day, but I'm concerned that it becomes mechanical, that it's all habit and no heart. So I try and teach them, hey, guys, let's pray like we mean it. Let's pray with 100% faith. That's authenticity. And so is the name of Jesus powerful? Absolutely it's powerful. But when we declare the authority of the name of Jesus, pray with authenticity like you truly mean it. Let fear not rule in your heart, but let faith reign as we declare the name of Jesus. If we need to put 100% faith into every prayer, mealtime prayers, bedtime prayers, how much more so wartime prayers on the spiritual battlefield. So we need to proclaim his authority. And when you do it, pray with authenticity like we truly believe it. And I believe we will see the enemy run. Amen? Amen. Let me close with this last story. When I was in youth ministry, every year our church, we would go to uh, this camp up in Big Bear. We stay at this cabin uh, at Cedar Lake. And every retreat, God was always doing something, working in people's hearts, working between relationships, teaching people. And if you've ever been to a retreat camp, the last night is oftentimes the most memorable and the most powerful. 
right? Because the last night of retreat is when we get the fire going, the campfire going, and we break out the guitar, and we worship, and we share. For our church, we call it testimony time. And we would just testify to, to all God was doing that whole week. And it was often filled with crying and tears and forgiveness and hugging and kumbayaing. And it was just very emotional, very powerful. And this one particular year, I'll never forget it, it was a great retreat. It was a great retreat. God was doing great things. But that last night as we finished dinner and everybody was getting ready for the campfire, everybody's excited. Everybody's so excited. They're grabbing their blankets. Everybody's stoked. Everyone except me. And I don't know what it was. It was a great week. But that night, I just didn't want to be there. I dreaded it. I kept thinking to myself, I do not want to be there. I don't want to be there where people are just going to exaggerate stories and make more of it than it was and say, God God did this and God did that. And and people are going to fake cry and there's going to be sappy tears everywhere, tissues everywhere. I just don't want to see it or hear it. I don't want to be there. And I had no idea where these thoughts were coming from. Honestly, it's very negative and just sinister. And as people are gathering around the fire and getting ready, these thoughts were like tormenting me, telling me, just ditch the night. No one will know. Just take a walk in the woods. They won't know. Isolate yourself. Hide in the cabin. They won't know. But just don't be there. And I know I wasn't possessed. I was a Christian. I had the spirit of God in me. I was a youth leader in this church. But I came to realize this isn't from me. And this isn't from my God. And I realized I just need prayer right now. And I remember trying to look for my friend Jeff. Jeff is a good friend of mine, and he's a fellow youth leader. I'm trying to look for Jeff to pray for me. So I'm looking in in, in the kitchen. Jeff's not there. I'm looking for Jeff in the meeting hall, and Jeff's not there. I remember going out to the balcony of our cabin looking for Jeff, and Jeff wasn't there. And I just needed prayer. So I remember since I couldn't find Jeff, I grabbed the next youth leader I could find. And there's this guy who, who served alongside us. His name was Masaki. I remember just grabbing Masaki by the shirt. I pull him in. I pull him into my face. I see, Masaki, I need you to pray for me right now because I don't want to be here. And I love the spiritual awareness of my friend Masaki because right there, no hesitation, he knew exactly what was going down, and he began to pray for me. He wrapped his arm around me. He put his hand on me, and there we are. I remember we're on the balcony. I'm hanging on the balcony, and my fists are clenched, and my jaws are tight, not because I was possessed, but because this was such an intense, heavy moment for me. It's so intense, and he starts praying for me, and I love that when he starts praying, he didn't talk down to the demon. He spoke upward toward the God of heaven. He looked to the God who has authority, and he started praying in the name of Jesus. And he says, in the name of Jesus, exercise your authority. Christ, show us that you're more proud. And he started praying in the name of Jesus, declaring with real faith. I've never heard a prayer like this up to that point in my life, but he kept declaring the authority of Christ with great authenticity. And as he prayed for me, I remember there was this distinct moment in his prayer where all of a sudden it was like, boom. It was like, I can't even describe it to you to do it justice, but it was like this weight was lifted off of my chest, off of my shoulder. And all of a sudden my hands released, my ten shoulders relaxed, and I breathed a sigh of relief. Because in that moment, I realized that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. And I thank God so much that in that moment I had a model of prayer, authentic prayer of faith, declaring the authority of Christ. 
and I saw the enemy flee. Friends, if you have God in you, and I pray that you do, you have nothing to fear. For greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Amen? Amen. Glory be to God. Let's give him praise. I want to ask you guys, let's bow our heads right now. And as I pray to close, I actually want to give anybody in here, anybody watching an opportunity right now, if you don't have the certainty, if you don't have assurance that your heart and your life is occupied by the Spirit of God, I want to pray for you right now. I don't want to invite you to invite God in. The Bible says Christ died for you to give you freedom. Christ died for you to free you of your sins. Christ died for you to free you of the penalty of death. He died for you to give you eternity in heaven if you believe he died for you and that he rose from the grave to make this possible. And if you do, the Bible says that in that moment, the Holy Spirit will come and inhabit your life, that you are his you are, and he is yours. And I, like I said, we, we will have nothing to fear for the one who is in you is great. And so I want to lead you in a prayer because all it takes is a, a commitment of faith. Not a prayer, a commitment of faith, which is lifelong. You walk by faith daily. And I don't believe a prayer saves you, but faith saves you. And prayer is a way to express that faith. So if that's you right now and you want to make this commitment, I'm going to pray out loud. You can pray it in your heart and talk to God as if you truly mean it with authentic faith. And pray something like this. Father God, I thank you so much for the reminder of how great you are. Greater than any power or force, any person or being in this universe. I want you in my life. I acknowledge by faith that Christ died for me on the cross. That he died to set me free. And I believe he has power to give life because he resurrected from the grave. So today I believe that by faith. I want to walk by that every single day. And I pray that you would come into my life, make your presence known, and protect me from the evil one. God, may I walk in your victory day after day. Thank you that you wear the victor's crown. God, you are good. And so I worship you now with all my heart and with authentic faith. We praise you in Jesus' name.